When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 20 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Latini Creative Solutions. They have over 20 years of experience in design, print, and marketing, specializing in creative solutions that capture your voice and deliver your message. So if you are trying to give your already established company a facelift, or in these times, if you're starting a new company and going out on your own, like me, they can help from supporting and energizing your already established brand to developing your company's identity and marketing campaigns, Latini Creative Solutions provides design that is thoughtful, focused, and creatively executed. We are hard at work together right now, designing all kinds of awesome stuff for the upcoming Mistress Carrie online store. So if you think they can work for you, log on to latinicreative.com. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by the Maine Hair Lounge. I have been asked for over a decade how I get my hair to look the way that it does. How do you keep the color the way it is? Why is it not falling out of your head because you dye it purple all the time? The answer is very simple. Linda at the Maine Hair Lounge. It doesn't matter what kind of look you're going for. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Do you need to get your hair done for a special occasion like a wedding or photos? Do you want to experiment with a fun color? Or do you just want to make it look like you got your life together? Because you never leave the house anymore. Whatever it is, Linda at the Maine Hair Lounge can help. If you want rockin' hair, go see Linda. She's right on Route 9 in Framingham. Or find her online at mainehairlounge.com. And that's M-A-N-E. Okay, before we get rolling with this week's episode, I want to send a little love to Noelle, Betty, Chris, and Tim. They are all the most recent recipients of the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass. What is it, you ask? Well, if you log on to patreon.com slash mistresscarrie, you can find out. The Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass gives you access to all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Find out what's going on first. Get exclusive updates, pictures, blog posts, polls. And when we launch mistresscarrie.com and launch the official online store, you'll get discount codes for discounted merchandise as well. We're building a whole crew. So if you want more Mistress Carrie in your life, then you need the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass. And by the way, it makes for a great gift. So this holiday season, if you don't know what to get someone, especially if you don't think they need anything, they need more of me. So get them a Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass. Just log on to patreon.com slash mistresscarrie. Okay, 
It's episode 20 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And over the first 19 episodes, I've reconnected you to a bunch of artists that I know you love. And we've also had great conversations with veterans, and we even caught up with some old AAF friends. But this episode is something a little different and something I've been promising you that I would do. One of the things I always took pride in when I was on the air at WAAF for over 22 years is introducing you to new artists that I think you are going to love. And that's what episode 20 is. Aaron Jones is an amazing guitar player, a singer, a songwriter, and performer. And he's climbing the rock radio charts right now. His music is a combination of so many different flavors that when you listen to it, you're like, oh, I love this. You can't help but love it. If you love old school blues or funk and rage against the machine, if you love straight-ahead traditional rock like the Black Crows, if you like your rock with a little hip-hop edge, or if you like your rock grungy from Seattle, Aaron Jones has all those things. We got introduced online, and I was told by everyone that works with him that when I met him, I would absolutely love him. And all of the people that said that were 100% accurate. He and I got along great, and we talked about a lot of stuff. Just like with every other episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast, in the description right now is a link to a playlist made for just this episode of the podcast. Of course, it features Aaron Jones's music, but it also features all the other music that we talk about in this episode. And I know after you hear this interview, you are going to start listening to his music and you are going to fall in love with him the way that I did. His new album comes out in early 2021. As a matter of fact, he's putting the finishing touches on it right now. I can't wait for you to get to know him. Allow me to introduce you to Aaron Jones. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Her hair is so lovely. Good eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. This is Marilyn Manson, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to, you have the privilege of listening to. Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome to Boston. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it's so nice Boston. to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I have heard so much about you, and I was so excited to be able to talk to you because I am loving your music. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We have a lot of mutual friends. And when I asked about you, they were like, oh, you should talk to him for the podcast. And I said, <laughs> hell yeah. Can you make that happen? For sure. That's cool. Man. So I'm thank glad, you so glad, much for doing it. 
I'm glad I'm in the good graces of folks around, you know. So Are you good. kidding? Of course. Yeah. Um, Boston is such a huge rock town. And unfortunately, earlier this year, we lost the biggest rock station in town, WAF, which is where I used to work. Yeah. And so part of this podcast is to keep this awesome New England rock scene together. And so we obviously are always talking to the artists that we know. But one of the things that my radio station always used to do was to be able to find amazing new artists like yourself and be able to say, hey, guys, you need to check this shit out. And yeah. that's what I heard when I first heard your music was something that I wanted everybody else to hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's really cool. I love the fact that you are such a Seattle guy because when you're from Boston, it's the first thing you tell everybody. Bostonians are just proud to be from their town and they love everybody to know that's where they're from. And so the fact that you, um, you know, have the song boys from the Puget sound, the fact that you film your videos in Seattle, that you are just so proud to be where you're from. I totally can connect with that. Oh yeah. I mean, I think Seattle and Boston are similar in that way. We're like, especially with Seattle, because you know, we talk around town these days, it's like a lot of people talk about where they're from and it's usually from out of town, LA, somewhere else. And they moved to Seattle, you know, within the last five or seven years or something like that, you know. So you hard pressed to find a lot of cats that are, that are born and raised in Seattle, uh, but we're still out there, you know, we still congregate and, and find ways to get together. Um, but it's very, um, wherever you go, if you're from Seattle, like born and raised in the town, it's like what you say, you're from Seattle proper. It's like- Yeah, you know, it's like you bleed it. It's, it's mm-hmm. part of your identity. I don't understand people that don't have this soul connection to where they're yeah. from. Yeah, me either. I don't really get it. <laughs> you know. Um, you were born and raised there. Is that where your family's always been? Uh, yeah. Well, my family. Um, I'm second generation uh, Seattle, and my mom's mom was born in Oklahoma. So originally, uh, my family kind of migrated from Oklahoma uh, two or three generations back, and then I've been in Seattle the whole time. But yeah, that's where I'm, I'm born and raised. It's my town. I'm fascinated by your story because I am not a person that has musical ability. <laughs> my And I tried. Marching band in high school, I've tried. But I've spent my entire career in the music business. I can't play it, but I know when it's good when I hear it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, thank you. Yeah, and for me, I am so curious how someone like you where this gift comes from and if you could explain to me how it is that you taught yourself i'm fascinated by the fact that you taught yourself how to play guitar because you're Mm. such an amazing guitar player and so i I want you to explain to me how that worked as a kid when did you realize you could do this and how you go about teaching yourself how to play guitar well, I, I, um, you know, I was kind of, I was born and raised in, in, in Seattle and, and I went to church every Sunday. My, my aunt, well, my auntie was the one who raised me, uh, and she's about two generations up from me. So she's, she definitely had a, a bit of a, a grandma kind of energy to her, you know? And, uh, and every Sunday we, um, we went to church, you know, and so I was already surrounded by music then, but I, I just always had this really knack for picking things up, you know, originally I started out with the drums. Um, I was super into the drums and you go to, you go to gospel church, you know, I'm trying to say like a Episcopal Baptist church or whatever. It's the drummer back, back there just losing his mind. He's always like the coolest guy in the band, you know? Uh, but yeah, so I started out with drums and then, um, 
you know, in high in, in middle school, I wanted to just play music no matter what it was, and I didn't have an instrument at the time. So for me, I started playing the violin uh, originally, uh, which I was never good at. <laughs> I was terrible at it. I felt bad for people who had to be around me in that time. It does period. sound like a dying cat if you oh play the violin God, poorly. It sounds so bad. <laughs> you can't, it's one of those things you can't play badly. If you play badly, yeah, it just doesn't work out. So. So yeah, I played the uh, the violin in, uh, in middle school up until about, for about two years. And then when I was 13, I picked up the uh, the guitar and uh, I kind of just went with it. And that was my obsession after that. And uh, I've been kind of stuck to it since then. I don't, I couldn't really explain to you where it comes from or why it made sense to me, you know? Uh, but it's just one of those things that kind of always has. And it's, it's always been like a Pandora's box to me, you know, every time, I, as soon as I opened it up, there's so many more things to learn on top of, to, you know, on top of things to learn, you know, so. I don't know that that's kind of where it comes from and then just this ability that i have to i think my my my, my real talent is, is my ability to, to recognize formulas and patterns and things you know kind of unconsciously and kind of figuring out how how things fit together in, in the pieces and how they work you know so yeah i don't know music music has always just been a natural gift for me i never really uh thought too hard about it you know it was just one of those things that for me i could just i i could do it and as i got older you know people really started taking notice and realizing that it was more than just um it was more than just like some kid messing around you know, like i had an actual gift to go do something and and then in 2011 i went to go tour with janelle monet and um and wonderland and work with a group called deep cotton out of out of, uh, out of atlanta and uh and that kind of changed everything i mean she inspired me to to want to be an artist you know like before i'd been a musician and kind of played around the bars and the clubs but after working with janelle and around her crew, um, that's what we're at when I wanted to be um, a full-on artist. So I came home to Seattle for another 10 years and grinded, and now I'm here. She seems like someone that can do everything, that her career is so well-rounded, and mm -hmm. there really isn't any... I, I joke all the time that, you know, musicians always want to be actors, actors... And musicians always want to be athletes. You know, there's they're they're always envious of each other's talents. And she she just seems like somebody that if she decides to do it, she can just do it. Oh yeah, I think that that was kind of what the most inspirational part about it was. It was like you know you kind of when I went down there, we all stayed in this big house, which was the label. You know, and they all they all have rooms in this house, and you know I got to stay there, and and I, I um in doing that, like I got to I just got to see her her work and just watching her work and then kind of seeing her her abilities and talents and just the way that she kind of you know every everyone recognized that she was the boss you know what i mean and not not in this way that was like they were intimidated by her or that they thought negative things about her but i think everybody knew that that they were they were on her shoulders uh and because of that it was like she had such these, these big leadership qualities i think that translated into being able to go and do other things like like become a great actress and you know and and you know top the billboard charts and and win Grammys and do all the things she's done. I mean, she just had that soul and that spirit. And she was just fun and, and, and an interesting person on top of that too. You know? And as a woman, I, I have so much respect for her that she has created this world around her where, like you're saying, everyone, without her having to be an intimidating presence, there's a respect level there where everybody understands she's the boss. You yeah, know, absolutely. Hell absolutely. yeah for the girl power. I love oh, that. Yeah. 100%, 100%, yeah. Are you good at math or, and can you speak other languages? They say that's the same part of the brain as meta is, um, musical ability. I, um, I'm not, I don't know. If, so <laughs> I, I, I think I'm good at calculating math. I, I didn't graduate from high school because, um, all I did was play guitar in the hallways. They <laughs> 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 like, go, go figure, you know, yeah, hey. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I, um, I am, I was, I was pretty good at math. I didn't have the, the, 
my ADD didn't give me the concentration to sit through a whole class and, and do homework and stuff, but I was pretty good at calculating math. I can, I can work pretty fast in my head. Uh, I'm really good at chess, you know, and, um, that's all the parts of my brain that don't work right. You have all these. If you and I got squished together, we could be yeah. like a superhuman. Super person. Because you have every weakness that I have mastered in spades. It's unbelievable. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I play chess. And in terms of languages, I, you know, the only language that I'm close to speaking is really Spanish. And with Spanish, I probably understand more than I could speak. And that's just from growing up in America and on the West Coast, you know, so... I can probably un I can understand a lot of Spanish, but I can't speak it very well. You know, but that's about it for me. Yeah. When you sit down with a guitar, and you're holding it in your hand, and you're just noodling or just kind of playing. I mean, I I've watched so many guitar players over the years warm up their fingers and you know get ready for a show or just kind of sitting in the studio or whatever. What do you hear? How how is it that you interpret the notes? Do you hear notes do you see colors from the notes like what is it that your brain recognizes with the notes of the guitar that's interesting i never i never really thought about that um and the reason why i ask is i interviewed someone recently that worked at zildjian cymbals mm -hmm. and she told me she worked with a drummer that sees notes as colors and it's a yeah. phenomenon I didn't even know this thing existed. Mm -hmm. And so he described certain symbol notes and symbol tones as shades of colors. And that's how his brain recognized musical notes. Hmm. So I was curious what that process was like for you. I don't, I don't think that, uh, I, colors is not, I've, I've heard people describe that, you know, it's, it's been said that Jimi Hendrix could see notes as colors, you know, and, and I know that there are people like that. I don't know that the same kind of is true for me. Um, when I when I play notes on a guitar, I don't. It's almost like the same. It, for me, it's it's like tapped into that same place that just speaks language. You know what I mean? Like the the, the same place that I speak from is the the you know where I, um, where I play from. And so for me, it's always like trying to find something to say. You know, what I'm trying to what I mean by that. Like yeah. if somebody laid some chords out, say you know, they're like, oh, we're gonna play this little. A minor progression. We're gonna go A G to F or uh, A or A F sharp. You know A F G. You know, and uh, within that, it's like my brain kind of figures out what what needs to be said or what can be said and what textures to use. You know, I guess that's a better way to describe it. It's more about textures for me. You know, rather than colors. So I kind of interpret things as, as like what 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 kind of texture would this need? What what what, it, what feel does this need? How does it need to feel? Does it need to feel rough? Does it need to feel smooth? Does it need to feel you know? wavy like you know I, I i imagine these different textures when i play when you started to teach yourself you're doing it by ear did you also at the same time learn how to read music and is that something you can do now yes yeah, so funny enough i uh i learned how to read music and picking up the classical stuff like the violin you know so that, that's where i learned how to read music and that was where i got my first taste of uh, music theory you know and that kind of translated that translated over when I picked up the guitar. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, I can read notes. I can write when I was uh, one of those things when I talk about, like recognizing early on that I had this gift was when I was 17. Uh, I wrote out this whole orchestration or a chamber orchestra piece uh, with the that accompanied me on the guitar um, when I was like 17 years old. Uh, and it took me like a year to write it. But like it was cool. I had a, it was like a five piece chamber orchestra. I wrote, I wrote two violin pieces two viola pieces. Uh, I wrote out a piece for the um, 
two cellos and, and one one bass piece and it was all accompanied me while I were out you know played the guitar and sang out the song did you ever record that is that somewhere we can hear it somewhere lost in the fray man it's, it's there somewhere <laughs> it's out there somewhere yeah somebody somebody recorded it on video somewhere but I still have the notations though They're, those those are still available you can pick those up still when you were a kid and you're listening to classical music, what are your friends saying? Were you hanging around with other fellow musicians or were you kind of a loner where the music and the instruments were kind of your friends? <laughs> I was uh, I was hanging out with other people. I'm, I'm, I'm a very social person, very sociable. I'm a, a conversationalist. I feel like I can talk about just about anything. So I was hanging out with as many people as possible, partly because my ADD just wanted that. And <laughs> other part was just because I, I just liked being around people, you know. Where would um, the music business be without ADD? It I know, like nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just think it's fascinating that as a kid, you know, you're teaching yourself how to play the violin and you're kind of surrounded in this musical background. And, you know, where I grew up, football was just such a huge thing that all of yeah. the the kids in theater and the musicians and stuff they were kind of cast on their own little side of the school that you know they weren't the cool kids yeah yeah well see my school uh i went to roosevelt high school in seattle and uh, roosevelt is actually a nationally accredited uh drama and acting school and so um i was heavily involved in drama and acting in fact if i had been <laughs> if i if i wasn't so obsessed with guitar and and uh, maybe was taking like Ritalin or something. I probably could have graduated with uh, with uh, thespian honors because I was actually a really good actor in high school. And you know that's that's long gone now. If I tried not, probably be like, boy, golly, wow, you know, <laughs> <laughs> probably mess it up real bad. But but it, that's what I was talking about. You know, when I when I say I, I pick up on these little subtle subtle uh, details and, and and things. You know, like um, I, I became a good actor in high school because when I was a kid, you know, I was around people that would watch soap operas and like I would really like like take note of how things were delivered, you know, and like how acting wasn't really acting, how like, you know, acting was just really almost like being normal, <laughs> but you're saying these <laughs> words to somebody else. So, but yeah, the school I went to was a, a thespian school. And so the, the jocks and the athletes and the cheerleaders and stuff actually were heavily involved in drama. And then in fact, one of the, the biggest um, football players in my school at the time is now he, uh, he went on to become like this award-winning Broadway actor, you know? So it's like, that was part of the, uh, it's part of the whole thing at my school, which is weird. You know, you talk to most people and they say the same thing. They're, they say, yeah, you know, actors and the, the drama geeks and the orchestra kids were all nerds, you know. But <laughs> in my school, it was like, it was kind of cool to, to be in drama and stuff. But in terms of orchestra, the orchestra was a little nerdy. I'll say that. <laughs> I was definitely in the, in the orchestra kids, but I think I was always pretty re received pretty well, you know. Talk about how it is that exposure to a school like that and obviously what was happening in the Seattle music scene, how that helped to curate your career now and the influence that it had on you. Uh, I think it was, it was huge. The influence was huge. Um, you know, just growing up around grunge, I mean, it's, you can't, you, you wouldn't put a kid in, in an environment like that was like a salsa environment. So you drop some kid and some, he was raised in an environment where all they did was salsa. And then that kid grows up to become a plumber or something. Now he would grow up to do like salsa, you know what I mean? Right. So, uh, being around this grunge music, you know, in Seattle at the time was, was huge influence on the side. All the kids were trying to learn all the new riffs, you know, it smells like teen spirit and stuff on acoustic guitar and all that, you know? Uh, but just having that, 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 um, you know that classical background too i mean that kind of it, that that really helped me with especially when it came to recording you know when it come, came to like putting records together and things like just those little subtle things go a long way you know um like if you listen to take me away 
uh, and it's very subtle. I don't think a lot of people noticed it, but in the coming in off of let's see the uh, going going into the, the instrumental change, that high pitched uh, guitar sound. Uh, that's when the, the orchestra comes in over the top of that, and then on out is like it's like this beautiful like arrangement of, of strings that goes on out but because we layered it in such a way it's kind of hard to tell but you know like that had a huge influence on my sound and um, I think that's partly why this the music has been you know received so well by the populace is because you know, there are these things that you recognize say maybe in the pop genre but they kind of peek their heads a little bit in the rock genre you know so last week last week on the podcast I talked to Kevin Martin from Candlebox who I've mm. known since the very early stages of his career and he talked about what a strange thing that it was that at that time when Candlebox got signed, he was like, every single one of my friend's bands got a record deal. Mm -hmm. That that time in Seattle, it was just the norm that everyone was going to be a musician and in a band just because the music scene exploded there in a way that it really hadn't other than you know, maybe LA and the, you know, the heavy metal eighties or whatever, yeah. that there wasn't this focus so centralized on one place with that rise. And as music moves on, there's got to come a drop off as well that all of a sudden the spotlight gets focused elsewhere. Mm. How did that affect the music scene and you as an artist? So the the thing that that happened with in the in the eighties um, and how and how it all affected me was that the that uh, I would say with what happened with the grunge movement was it was this huge movement and all of a sudden all these you know big record labels from all over the country and the world were coming to Seattle to try to get the new talent because that, that was like there's a scene happening you know uh, and then when that kind of faded off so did all the attention you know but the music scene remained the same which was really interesting you know. Um, it just made it harder for for Seattle kids to get out, you know. So I know I know a ton of musicians and a ton of artists in Seattle that, that probably deserve a record deal, but like they wouldn't know the first thing about going about getting one because the industry in Seattle is no longer what it is, you know. So um, for me, that that grind, I mean, just kind of having been been involved in those waves of that, you know, um, it, it it just it what it did in Seattle is it made me better at what I do, you know what I'm saying? Like it made me like. Um, I always say that Seattle is the place that you, you go to get really good at what you do, but it isn't always the place that you break from, you know what I mean? And so even though like technically I'm, I'm like my whole image and everything's coming from Seattle, I had to go to New York, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to go get picked up. And, uh, and I'm in Nashville right now, like my label's out of Nashville, you know, and, and, um, you know, my, my agents out, to, out of the UK, you know, so I the, the like Seattle just doesn't really have that, that, that infrastructure, um, that it could have. And that was, that was like the hardest part, I think, for Seattle was that, that when the grunge movement happened, there was big opportunity for Seattle to become this really big music business town. Um, but the labels and things didn't really set up shop there. They just didn't do it, you know? So they, they came to pick all this talent and then when it was dried up or they felt like it was dried up, it all went away, you know? I think so. it's fascinating that a place like Nashville had this reputation as being this country music mecca. Mm -hmm. And it seems now every time I talk to a rock band, whether it be Seether or Evanescence or you, it uh, three doors down that I spoke to recently, like everybody lives in Nashville now. It's yeah. that's become <laughs> the the central place for rock and roll now. Yeah, it's interesting. I um, you know, I'm still pretty pretty new to coming out here. I'm, I mean, I'm still based in Seattle, but you know, I come out here for work, and you know, when, when there's some some things to be done and. Um, you know, right now I'm on a, on a, on a writing session and, and I'll be here for another 
you know, a few days or so and uh, getting in some, some writing sessions, trying to, trying to put some finishing touches on the record. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been the word. I mean, you know, a lot of cats out here play country. I think that what happens is uh, these cats who play country, especially the guys who play country, are some of the, the most amazing artists. <laughs> you know, Jam with this drummer yesterday. He's like, I'm like, what do you do? He's like, I'm primarily country. And we get in there, and he's like, one of the heaviest drummers I think I've worked with. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what the hell? You play country? He's like, yeah, man. Well, if I can open up, I can open up. You know. <laughs> and I'm like, please open up. You know. Yeah, don't pigeonhole me into just yeah. thinking I'm gonna sit back here with a steel guitar and that's and like, all cross- I do. And cross stick you know over here you know right like, yeah so he but he just kills it man and and um i just think the talent pool in in, in nashville very similar to seattle but even even more so because the, the industry i mean you're if you live in nashville there is an opportunity as an artist for you to grow substantially you know to to an, an immense amount you could be playing a club somewhere and a cat can walk in and change your life you know that's just, just less so the case in Seattle, you know, it's right. like, that may happen to you, but the chances are, are, are way slim. You know? Well, it's not just Seattle. There's very few places in the, I mean, Boston's not like that. Unfortunately, right, right. the rock scene that we were known for for a long time really isn't as, as huge as it used to be. However, the appetite and the passion for rock music, that is still in us. Yeah, yeah. You know, that gritty kind of working class, something to say. I mean, we love our rock music here, but unfortunately we don't have the outlets to be able to go and see it live as much as a place like Nashville, which just has countless numbers of bars where you can go see live music anytime you want, like New Orleans. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Seattle has, seen, Seattle has the same thing. We have a bunch of live music, but we don't have the industry. <laughs> you know, right. Tons of live music. You can walk in. I mean, you know, if, if it hadn't been for this pandemic, you know, it's like you could walk in just about anywhere and uh and go find live music and um and just be dumbfounded like dumb i've had people come from friends coming from out of town they're like where, where are we oh we're just in this little bar over here no big deal and it's like these guys have been playing here for the last 10 years but they're they're some of the best musicians you've ever heard in your life you know and some of those cats have done some session work and things but but the industry just not there like seattle's still a big rock town there's a lot of re- really big rock bands like really hard rock bands in seattle still to this day um, but you know the scene has changed, and so you know I'm hoping to make an impact on that. I've been trying to find this really this interesting little niche where, you know, I can attract all the hard rock heads, but also also some of those people who may have forgotten about hard rock. You know, because uh, my vocals are definitely more attuned to R and B and and gospel. You know, even with the hard edge, I'm still trying to find this middle ground where we bring it all back together. You know? Well, that's why I gravitated so much to your music when when I heard it the first time. There always seems to be waves and trends in music. I mean, you talk about, you know, the the heavy metal of the mid to late 80s, or you talk about grunge in the 90s, and it, there's that sameness of sound. And as rock and roll moves forward, in the public eye, it's lost a lot of favor. I mean, they don't even give out the rock awards and the Grammys on TV anymore. You no, know? I know, right, right. But right. when I heard you... It was like you're eating something and you're trying to place the spices. You're trying mm-hmm. to figure out what, wait, what is that? Is that, wait, did you put a little of that in there? And that's mm-hmm. kind of what it was for me. So I really want to talk about all of these different flavors and influences in your music. And I hate to compare one artist to another, mm-hmm. but we're on a podcast. And for a lot of people, this may be their first exposure to you. So it's like if you were making this amazing you know, gumbo or, or, you know, stew or something where you're just kind of throwing everything in the pot. It's like, you can't help but make a, a Hendrix comparison. Oh yeah, for you sure. You can't yeah. help but feel a little Tom Morello and Rage Against the Machine groove in there. 
You can't help but find the soul of Gary Clark Jr. I mean, are all of those comparisons okay with you? And, and is do you feel that way? Are you they're comfortable deliberate. with that? They're, they're deliberate, you know. With, with the case of Gary Clark, I mean, with, with the exception of Gary Clark, I think me and Gary Clark just kind of, we came from the same vein, you know. It's like him and I, I think, were probably influenced by a lot of the same artists, you know. So I think that's where that comparison comes from. But, but yeah, that, that was deliberate. I mean, I just, you know, that wasn't, it was, that was a, in my brain, I'm going, you know, what's, for me to try to reinvent the wheel, like, what's that going to do for me? You know what I mean? Like, wh what am I going to try to do to, to recreate some new brand of rock? It's not, nothing's ever new. Nothing in, in our universe is new, you know? Everything's always, um, it's uh, it's the same material kind of rebranded and, and restructured to something different. You, put, you tear it down and, and rebuild it to something new. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when I go into the guitar solo, you know, and I'm thinking about the kind of guitar solo I need for this song, I'm thinking, you know, people really haven't heard this approach to Tom Morello's sound, you know? And I'm going, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, this would be cool to put here. That's definitely a, a lick that that, that would call would we call Jimi Hendrix. You know, we're gonna stack these guitars here because that's gonna remind you of Audio Slave. This this bass groove is gonna remind you of Dr. Dre. You know, I'm gonna use these Michael Jackson vocals because people just love Michael Jackson. <laughs> you know, like I'm doing all these things. I'm thinking about all these things at one time. These are all influences people I love and, and I grew up listening to. Um, but I'm I'm trying to connect with people in a way I think that rock and roll hasn't been able to do in a long time. And 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 to do that, it wouldn't make sense to go and try to be brand new you do that by grabbing the stuff that people just loved in the beginning and if something you know it's an old saying if something works why fix it you know so i, I kind of i definitely gravitated towards those people and, and were trying to um deliberately display my influences and in, in my music because i know that people connect with those people you know what i mean and, and in turn I, I was hoping that they would connect with me you know so well it worked for me because i couldn't be further away from your hometown if i tried yeah and a lot of the conversations we have here on the podcast, obviously, we're not operating in a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. We're in an incredibly tumultuous political time. We're all more isolated than ever because of COVID. And a theme that keeps coming up with all of the musicians I talk to is about personal connection and about bridging gaps. And so if you're using your music, which I believe is a huge uniter, you know, it's like I look at rock concerts in that same kind of way that or just concerts in general in that same way that you talk about going to church on Sunday, where it's like everyone is together. Everyone is experiencing the music in a very uh, similar way and that it kind of feeds your soul, that it that it that it gives you this life of enjoyment and that everybody in that concert hall can be from completely different backgrounds but they're all taking in that music in the same way in the audience. And I think we need that now more than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the same thing, you know, I think rock and roll is rock and roll is always has this, this habit of showing up when people need it most, you know, it's like the superhero of the music industry. I think right now, right now it's this time. I think we need rock and roll. I think there's, there's a lot of people, you know, and, and I, I say that with a grain of salt too, because rock and roll just changes form. You know, like we're also in this area where hip hop is is the new rock. You know what I mean? Which is where like they've taken on, they've literally taken on their influences. I mean, when, you, when you're talking to a lot of these hip hop cats, or when you like watch some of these interviews, they talk about their influences like David Bowie, or you know. Um, uh, sometimes it'll, it'll be Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath is one of the influences. Marilyn Manson, like these cats are highly influenced by these people. Their interpretation of it, though, happen, happens to be in the form of hip hop. You know what I mean? And I just kind of think that um, it's time for hip hop to be the new form again. You know, it's, it's time for hip hop to be the form of expression or hip hop rock to be the form of expression, you know, uh, in this in this time period. And, um, you know, 
that's that's partly why though i mean like, you know in, in as a millennial kid myself though it's like i i'm also influenced by these other genres so in, in my music you hear all these different flavors you're gonna hear hip-hop you're gonna hear a bit of rock a little bit of r&b sometimes it'll sound a little country and folk you know so i'm just trying to bring all these things together in, in the rock genre because we just need it we all need it man we need that expression I think one of the people that you're talking about, and it's he's someone that I am honored to have been able to call a friend for a long time, is Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely, and, yeah. And he is, he and I have had hours-long conversations, not only on the podcast, but just hanging around together talking about how rock fed into hip-hop and how Run DMC kind of took all those riffs and all of that and turned it into something else and for you know a suburban white girl from massachusetts to all of a sudden be turned on to this hip-hop music in the 80s that where was that coming from but he bridged that gap for me and i mean is there anybody in the world that you've ever met that's more positive and more inspirational than daryl mcdaniels seriously i don't think so (laughs) i don't think so man those cats i had a chance to play with those guys and uh and this really random show in Wauwatosa, uh, like Waukesha, Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, man. And just dumbfounded by those guys, man. It was incredible. Like that was, that was, it was just one of those shows you had to be at because it wasn't a public thing. It was like a private thing. This dude was loaded. He had, it's like, oh yeah, it's higher end DMC, get a bunch of people to come. And so we're this indie band that, that, you know, if you, if you heard about us at this time, since like 2015, if you'd heard about us, then you knew, you know, like you just, you had to have us around, you know, but nobody else knew who we were. So we're here and, you know, I'm backstage watching Run DMC on the stage do their thing, man. Just mind blown, you know, mind blown. It just, you know, it, when I when I talk to Daryl still to this day, I'm like, the fact that I know you because you were such a huge influence on my upbringing and my love yeah. of music, it, it just blows my mind. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he and I had a great long conversation um, a few months ago just about... Um, trying to stay positive in these times yeah and he's one of the people that i was referencing when it was talking about how music you know is so needed to help bridge some of these divisions in the united states right now oh yeah yeah. that you know run dmc was so influential in building so many bridges because everybody loved run dmc back in the day it didn't matter where you came from it didn't matter what you did and so we were having these conversations about how it is that we should be turning to the artists right now as a way to unify us again. And um, I really feel like your music has that ability because of all those different influences that it's gonna bring people into the pool from all over the place. Yeah, that, then that's that's kind of, you know, that's something I've been recognizing more and more lately. It's just that the different kind of people, like, yeah, I get I get people, I'm not a, I'm not a big Trump person myself, I'll be the first person to say it, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big Trump supporter, but, um, but I don't, um, I, I would never just draw a line and be like, you know, if you're a Trump supporter, I'm not going to talk to you. You know, that's not that's not my way. I, I, I was uh, brought up in a time in America, I think, that um, where I was taught that even, you know, you're supposed to have love and respect for your fellow Americans, even despite your differences or what they believe in, you know. Um, and also, I believe that there's always an opportunity to change somebody's mind, but you don't you don't do that by canceling them out or, or, or drawing a line in the sand. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to change somebody's thought process or, or give them insight or, or help them learn, you know, and give them enlightenment if, um, if you don't, you know, 
if you draw a line in the sand and just say, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm going to be this kind of person. This is my music is only for these people. You know, I don't, I never believe that. And it's not the kind of person I am, especially having tour. I mean, most artists you talk about will say that because when you tour, you see people from, <laughs> you know, all over the world, man, different walks of life, different belief systems. And, and they're, they're there to see you, uh, because they love, there's something about your music, despite your ideologies, there's something about your music that they're drawn to, you know? And so, um, but I do, I have been noticing more and more recently that people from different walks of life are really gravitating towards this music. And so therein lies this opportunity now for for people to get to know each other and sit at the table and, and have a conversation as opposed to, you know, behind a computer screen and comment on comments. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> and it's, it's, which is so funny, by the way, I, I, I talk to people about that. I was in this Facebook argument recently. <laughs> duh, 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 duh. I'm like, you, so you were commenting on someone's comment about their comment is what you mean? <laughs> I've <laughs> you know? gotten sucked into Facebook arguments and then after oh, the too. fact i feel so bad about myself so dirty you're just it's, like why did i do yes, that <laughs> that's the exact word you feel you're like, why, dirty you're like i need to I go take that? a bath like yeah. why did i lower myself to that standard and it never makes me feel better it's, it's like, like facebook it's should be you know relegated to like pictures of people's kids in my case pictures of my pug and just you know funny memes and keeping in touch with the people that you don't live near so that, yeah. you know, you can stay connected. But as soon as you start getting into keyboard warrior, yeah. it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to change the world. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've worked with so many different musicians. Yeah. One of the musicians um, that I know that you've played with um, before I was in radio as a DJ, I was a roadie and I used to do lights and build stages. And um, I ran lights for BB King, I think mm. twice. Yeah. And I remember the first time, I think it was maybe at the Newport Jazz Festival or something. And, um, you know, all of the colors have like the gel colors had numbers attached to them, brands and and numbers. And I remember, you know, he didn't have any kind of lighting plot, really. There wasn't anything specific that he asked for. And he came over and was just like, uh, I'll never forget it. Roscoe 181 is almost that purpley blue color that looks like a black light almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he came over to me and he just was like, just Roscoe 181, put the lights up and put your feet up, baby. And I'll never forget just lighting the stage with this amazing bluish purple hue and watching BB King live. And it had such a profound effect on me. And I can't play the guitar. So I want to talk to you about what it is to, to be a guitar player and be inspired by somebody like BB King, but then to play a show with them. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, at the time, I mean, this is 2014. I just dropped my first indie record. This is March of 2014, right? So I dropped an indie record in 20, the end of 2013, November 2013 or so. And, uh, and so, you know, this is, it's all brand new. Like, you know, I don't, and I, it's an indie record, mighty, right? So this isn't right. like, I wasn't just like signed to a big label and all of a sudden I'm, I'm on the radio and stuff, you know, it's just like a little, I put it out and the region kind of blew up about it and I got some newspapers and stuff and got some looks and some magazines and things, but that's about it. Um, so I, I didn't know what to expect. And all of a sudden, March comes around. Like, oh, yeah, we got you open for BB King, you know. <laughs> did your brain just explode? I was like, boo, that was crazy. Yeah, it was. It, it did, you know, for more or less. And I was like, that's crazy. It was nuts. And I remember just being really excited about that show, a little nervous about it, but really excited about it. And all of a sudden, 
you know, when people get wind that you're opening for BB King, especially in my hometown, you know, they're they're hitting you up. You know, you're in Seattle Magazine, you're in the the you know Seattle Times, and everybody wants to know who you are and what you're about and all this you know other stuff. And uh, but yeah, to, to get to share the stage with them, it was bittersweet because you know this was the second to last show I think that that uh, he played because he went. To, I think he went to Portland and that was the last show he did. Um, it was bittersweet because you you could tell. I mean, he was. He was very old, and you could tell he was looking, looking a little bit frail. Um, he came out in a wheelchair; he couldn't really stand up anymore. And uh, and yeah, but it, I mean, it, he still did his thing. You know, he got up there, and, and every now and again, you see these little flashes of greatness. But for the most part, I think people were just happy to be there and see BB King. You know, before they couldn't see him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the part I remember the most was getting to talk to him after the show and how humble he still was to that point in his, in his career. You know, and this legend. You know, this this this. He's a god in the music industry, and it's you know? almost like and he didn't even recognize his own god status. It just didn't, didn't even affect him. It felt like it felt like he was like a walking almost famous, you know. He's <laughs> 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 a walking almost famous, and and so yeah, just like he just didn't. I mean, he never. I don't think he really ever got to his head. I mean, I, I've seen interviews and things where he talks about. He says his one weakness was was women, you know, which is like. It's rock and roll. <laughs> you know, I get I, it. But. I can't even list the number of men that have that same weakness. Oh, God. it's And it's rock and roll, man. It's like, especially right. when you come from a background, you know, where you haven't, like, I, I have a very similar background where it's like, you know, you're abandoned. You didn't have that motherly love in your life. And all of a sudden, people want to give you attention and love on you, even even just if it's for something very superficial, like what they think of you, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so I can, I can to a point, relate to some of that, you know, but... You know, he just um, was such a, a humble and just a nice person. I felt like I was talking to my grandpa, <laughs> you know, and it was so sweet and so nice. And, you know, I'll never forget that moment, man. And then, you know, I was bummed out a few days after that. Like, it was not too long after that, maybe six, a few months. And then he passed away after that, you know. So I ended up being one of the last artists to open for B.B. King, which was always going to be pretty special to my heart. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, but I take that with me, you know. And when it comes to more modern artists, especially where you come from, it's got to be huge. I mean, the the artists that are famous for being up in Seattle, when you talk about people like Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses, or you're talking about the Pearl Jam guys or the Soundgarden guys, I mean, these are people that me and obviously anybody listening to this podcast, like, these are rock gods. These are These are the legitimate, pure definition of rock star and you have become part of that very close-knit kind of Seattle rock community, which has got to be incredibly helpful since there oh, isn't a yeah. lot of industry there. It's a, it is, it's, a, it's super helpful. Um, you know, the Seattle, the Seattle spirit and music is always kind of trying to figure out how to help the rest of your scene come up, you know, and it's, it's been like that since the beginning and it, and it remains that way you know i think a lot of artists that, that go and make it because you know how it is in seattle man you grind you grind you grind you grind trying to make it trying to make it trying to make it and then it's like not till you leave and you did that shoot that show in new york or you were in la that one time and all of a sudden now you're getting your break you know and then you come back to seattle like oh i figured out what i was doing wrong or what i was doing right and you come back and you you lend a hand to these artists you know and you know and so just just for an example like the other day you know i was in la i've been i wasn't so i'm on this big riding trip i was in la for a week last week and i'm, I'm here till next tuesday and Nashville, but you know, as I'm writing with this stuff, I'm 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 kind of like sending some of that stuff over to Duff to listen to, you know, just to just to give me some of his feedback, and he's just, you know, um, and you know, and he he's always telling me his honest opinion, and he's always like, you know, taking off with like this big brother status almost, you know what I mean? And 
Uh, so those guys are always just readily, readily available. Mix a lot. I still talk to him to this day, you know, about, about I got to talk to you about Sir Mix a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, that's a fun one. It's just, but keep going. Go ahead. Yeah. But either way, I was just going to say that, you know, just those guys just being available and just to be in, in the circle of guys now. And I'm always tripping on what's going on with my wife and freaking out. I'm always like, yeah, I was just hanging out with Depp McKagan and Sean Kenny. We were just doing some stuff, whatever, you know? Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. You no know? Big, hold on. Let Ministry. me drop this anvil-sized name yeah. I'm about to throw out the window. Boom. My wife doesn't know any of this stuff, though. She's like, oh, that's cool, honey. You know, that's nice. You know? Okay. <laughs> hold on a second. I'm about to take you on a tangent for a second, yeah, but I'm sure, going to come yeah. back to Sir Mix-a-Lot. So yep. I just got married about f- five weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank that's you cool. very much. Yeah. And, um... He got me a black engagement ring and my wedding That's ring has so skulls cool, on it. Man. So he knows his wife, That's right? That's so cool, man. Um, my husband has absolutely nothing to do with music and the entertainment world. And it sounds like your wife doesn't either. And it nothing. sounds like you and I have very similar experiences when you're talking about my husband, his musical knowledge of rock and roll begins and ends with ACDC. Yep. I took him to see Metallica at the sold-out stadium here in Massachusetts where the Patriots play. Yeah. And I took him backstage because I had to interview James Hetfield, and he was in the room, and when James Hetfield walked in, he didn't know who he was. And then I had to go introduce Metallica on stage in front of 68,000 people at the football stadium, and he was like, you're going out there right now? Like, (laughs) do you know what you're going to say? I'm like, I don't know. Well, I'll figure it out. It's kind of my job. This is what I do. So when he and I talk about music and the entertainment business, I just, he just can't relate. And do you think that you were attracted to her because she wasn't involved with the business? Because I feel like there was a part of me that was so refreshed by the fact that my husband didn't want to constantly talk to me about music, having been in the music business for almost 30 years. Yeah, I could turn it off. You know, I could could turn it off. And it's like, especially now, like the more popular popular I'm getting the harder it is to like meet people and just have normal conversations you right. know it's like even here you know um I'm in Nashville I mean obviously COVID's going on but you can still kind of get out and around and kind of mingle a little bit you know um but like the con- what how the conversation's supposed to go when it's like oh like what do you do oh, oh yeah I know I work over at the post office oh I, yeah I'm a, I'm a barista what do you do well I'm 13 on Billboard Rock <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> you know, so now the conversation is completely twisted. You know, there's like this now there's aura around you and these people aren't going to not going to communicate with you the same way because it's like now, you don't want to tell people what you do. No, you don't. You kind of don't. You don't. And and it's like and you, you can lie. I'm an accountant. You don't look like an accountant. My office is really cool. Uh, if you say you got to be careful now because TikTok, when you tell people you're an accountant, TikTok's making people think that being an accountant is something totally different now. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, like, I for me though, it's like it's. Um, I, I have a friend of mine back home who said, you know, you're never going to meet anybody and not be famous anymore. You know like that, and that's just true. You know, it's like never going to be that. So, like, for me, it was always refreshing to have someone at home that didn't want to talk about the music. You know, that was curious. And sometimes it's annoying because sometimes you'd be really pumped about something. You know, and they don't <laughs> like, get it. They have no you're idea. You're super excited you're about. Like, something. Oh, I can't believe this. <laughs> you know, like I launched and, a podcast. Yeah. You know, after the radio, my radio station got sold. I mean, it's a legendary 50 year rock station here in Boston. And then we wake up one day and it's gone. And I launched this podcast and I'm super excited about it. And all of the musicians and everybody are still being super supportive. 
He had never even listened to a podcast before. Not one time. <laughs> and I had to teach. And now that, you know, he's like, I listen to my wife's podcast, obviously, even though she talks about all these musicians and I don't have any idea who they are. But now he's gotten into podcasts because he can find things that, in, you know, that interest him in his in his own life and his own thing he's he's a marine and he's deployed yeah. right now so he's found you know podcasts in these things that interest him whether it be motorcycles or guns or whatever it is and um it's just hilarious that it's it is funny man i i, I one story in particular i remember very similar to the story you had uh about <laughs> about the stadium but uh um was uh I got a call to go, this is back in 2018, I got a phone call uh, from my agent, and uh, he was like, oh, yo, man, like, they want to put you on this Carnegie Hall thing, it'll be like a Led Zeppelin cover night, and I was like, oh, who's playing, you know, it's like Patti Smith is there, it's the Zombies, it's uh, Living Living Color is there, Joseph <laughs> Arthur, Jay Mascus, it's like, a, it's a, a, a who's who, just yeah. a who's who of, of rock and roll legendary P.S. it's Carnegie you know? Hall too and it's Carnegie Hall right and it's so, uh, Led Zeppelin I mean yeah and I'm freaking out and I'm like I'm like man I call my wife I'm like dude they, they want to play Carnegie Hall she was like oh <laughs> and I was like you know what Carnegie Hall is do you no <laughs> so I'm dying I'm dying I'm like I'm like this is this is this is the moment this is like oh I was like I was kind of mad at her then I got over it you know um but I'll tell you what though one thing she did remember was when I opened for Guns N' Roses being a white girl from the suburbs, she definitely know who those were. <laughs> Lost her mind. Oh go. my God, you're opening for Guns N' Roses! <laughs> I can't believe it! <laughs> I'm like, cool, thanks. Okay, I finally built that bridge with my wife. Right, yeah, cool. I'm opening for Guns N' Roses. Yes, sweetie, you know who Guns N' Roses is. Yes. Good. Well, listen, cool. I'll I'll offer myself up as that surrogate female for you that if you. you that if you ever want to talk about music stuff you're excited about and you get that all too familiar blank stare from your spouse yeah you I'll can you call, call me and i will talk shop with you whenever you want yeah that's a, it happens man it happens and i'm just like oh you have no idea what i'm talking about she goes i know what the grand old opera is she's in the country you know like we're so is my, my husband I, yeah see we're like he's from wisconsin like yeah my wife is from uh the country so i'm washington state's interesting being from washington state is interesting because if you're the closer you are to the coast you know more the, the bigger the city is and you're right. more into the, the urban life you know more inland and it's like most states more more inland it's country right so she's from inland like she's from like a little a country area and so when we met like we were just like i was like this isn't gonna work out <laughs> You know, I don't know if this is going to work here. We don't talk about the same stuff, you know, Yeah. But it worked out, you know, it, it's, it, that contrast actually, I found that to be one of the greatest gifts of my life because like when you can't turn it off, man, you know, like even when we go to parties and stuff and everybody like knows who you are, like events with her or events with me and everyone's like, you know, they start treating you a certain way. You don't have, you know, there's no more, um, that those days, like, like my friend said, those days before you became who you were, it's like, doesn't happen anymore. So people aren't, they don't want to talk to you about, you know. What's your favorite kind of dog? <laughs> What's your yeah. color? You know, what are you into? You know, that's like. He and yeah, I got so fixed up thing. on a blind date. And because he was from out of town, he didn't yeah. know who Mistress Carrie was. He just thought, See, that's oh, nice Carrie with the purple hair, <laughs> you know? right? No, it was right. great. It was awesome. Um, we have to get back to Sir Mix a lot because. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The fact, when, when I was researching you, there were a lot of references. I mean, we're talking about people, Duff McKagan. You know, Mike McCready, we start talking about, you know, playing with people like B.B. King. And I get to the name Sir Mix-a-Lot on this list of people that has has been influential in your career in a major way. And I'm like, mm. 
We're still talking about the same, my anaconda don't want no, none unless you got buns, hun guy, right? That's the same guy? Same guy, yeah, yeah. Can you please tell me how this relationship with Sir Mix-a-Lot even came to be? Because I am fascinated by this. Uh, interesting. Yeah, so interesting enough, we were we were playing. So at this time, 2000, and, this is about 2011, 2012. I just came off of uh, touring with Janelle Monáe. And now like I'm trying to figure out what my next big thing is. And so um, I entered this Hard Rock Rising competition. It's like a hard rock battle, national worldwide battle of the bands, you know. It basically, it's just like uh, it's a popularity contest for indie indie bands to to get a chance to go play somewhere. Yeah, know? but anything you can do to help shine a spotlight on you, especially as a rock artist, you got to do it. Absolutely, and we did it. And at the, and at the time, you know, we're still at this point. I'm I'm still like I'm thinking I'm a blues artist at this point. You know, I'm not I'm not realizing that this whole time I've been turning my amp up to to a million. <laughs> Everything's just started. You know, I'm like I play blues. Everybody's like it's too loud for blues. Uh, but uh, and so we we're we we're in doing so we were trying to get all these votes to to go further in the competition, you know. So we like we're getting all we're trying to get, acquire all these votes, and so we're playing all over the place. We're getting people to like us on Facebook. All this stuff is happening, and um, uh, a mutual friend catches wind, uh, or he he hips some mix a lot to what's going on, and playing this bar one night, man. We're playing the Rat and the Raven over in the, in the University District in Seattle, which is a dive bar. It's a hole, and it's like ten people in the audience, you know. And all of a sudden, uh, some mix a lot walks in. And he just like listens. He loves it. He loses his mind. He freaks out. Like, man, I love you guys. You guys sound amazing. He's like, I want to produce your first record, man. <laughs> and, and so we ended up producing my first record. We uh, spent the rest of 2012 and most of 2013 finishing the record up. And then we dropped it. And by 2000 and ended uh, November 2013, we dropped the record. Um, but that to this day was the most influential thing anybody could have done for me. Um, because it taught me, it, it got me, first of all, it was my first introduction into be, being a recording artist. You know, there's different phases of being a musician. You can be a musician, um, you can be an artist, uh, and you can be a recording artist. There's different ways to, to kind of do that. And, and being well, a musician, you can do at home in your spare time. If you're a yeah. working musician, that definition different is different too. Yeah, Very different, very different. You're that's you are relying on what you do to, to make a living. You know, those are, those are very different things. And so... Um, that was my first introduction to being a recording artist, though I, I felt like I, even at that point, I still had some years before I really took on that role, you know. Um, but uh, because of that, it was, it was it, you know, that's what opened the door for every, for everything for me. I mean, you know, that's what got all these like these opening slots and, you know, getting getting on the road and seeing, you know, getting me in front of people for the first time was that first record with Sir Mix a lot. To this day, which is in Seattle today, which is still like. That is like the underground record, man. If you got that record, it's like, it's a special thing, man. It's a special thing for me. even. You know? Shame on me for not, I mean, my assumption, because obviously I know that song. I know every word right. of that song. My assumption was he was just hanging out at home cashing checks. I didn't know that he was producing records and that he was out working with other artists because yeah. you wouldn't hear about that here. So I had no, no it's idea. True. It's true, man. It's true. Yeah, he, he, uh... He still works around with other artists. I don't. I don't know. You know, some of the other artists he's worked with. I, I'm not sure how far they've gotten or anything like that. I'm not. I don't really keep track of uh, their careers as much. But you know, for some for some reason, what we did caught lightning, man. You know, it just and it just hit it hit hard. And you know, we we had talked about doing another record uh, before now. Um, but uh, you know, I think I, I met Barrett Martin. I thought that was a big opportunity for me to really get in that circle of, of the grunge guys, and, and that, that's kind of what happened. You know, on 2017 is my second indie record dropped. Uh, but Mix a Lot was still in my corner, you know. He still to this day. I, I called it. I mean, when I got signed, he was one of the first people I called. You know, talked to him about the deal because we were, were both signed by Universal or Universal Outlets, you know. And 
that's the guy I call, and he's, he's like a big brother to me. I still like to this day if I'm having trouble or if I'm like stuck in a hotel room alone <laughs> or dealing with some crazy industry stuff, I'll hit him up and be like, look, man, you ever deal with this? He's like, oh, absolutely. You know, it just always helps to know that there are people before you and people that, that, that will be after you that are going through some of the same stuff you're going through as an artist because, you know, traveling is lonely, man. It's a hard thing. I mean, when you're, when you're a recording artist or you're a touring musician or whatever, man, if you're long hours, long days on the road, I mean, I, I, I'll be gone. I will have been gone for 15 days, you know away from home and family for the first time by myself in these hotel rooms and stuff, you know, it can be a very lonely, lonely path because it's like, it's the path you chose, you know? So just knowing that people are out there that have been through that and can help you with it. Uh, let's say 10 minutes. Is that going to work? Cool. Uh, but you know, when you, sorry, <laughs> it's okay. Out. It's okay. Uh, uh, but you know, when you, when you're on the road and, and you're, you're dealing with these things that are kind of foreign to you, you know, it helps to know that other people have gone through that. So you can call them and, and just say, Hey, and just lean on them, you know? So, so yeah, I still maintain that good friendship with, with Mix a lot and Duff and all, and all those cats because of that, you know, there's a theme in the podcast that comes up a lot with musicians that have, um, parents that were in the military. And it seems like such an opposite kind of thing that you would have a very strict kind of military upbringing and then have kids that are rock stars because yeah. um, there's a lot of them it seems to just keep coming up in these conversations i'm having but one of the similarities is exactly what you're talking about is this adjustment to constant travel mm -hmm. this uh, you know this adjustment to not being able to lay down permanent roots in a lot of ways and to having to have an extremely overactive work ethic to get ahead in the industry that you've chosen and and yep. obviously these are the kinds of things that you're talking about Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, like just even for example, on this trip, I, every single day on this trip, I, I've not had a single day off, you know, every day I've woken up on this trip in, in a different state or a different city and, uh, and had to work, you know, and like, that's like, <laughs> you know, when you're tired, you're jet lagged and you want, you want to take some time to yourself, but you know that, the, that in order for you to, to, to get to where you want to be, to see the kind of results you want to see in your life, because that's just what you're driven to do. You're going to have to wake up and fight against all those feelings, that feeling you have of wanting to sleep in and the feelings you have of being exhausted and, and, and go in there and make magic happen for yourself because it's what you do, you know. Talk to me about now that you are on Big Machine, you talk about getting your deal and being on this writing trip. Are you... Are you trying to collaborate with other people to work on a new record? Like, what what is it that you're working on right now? Uh, we're just trying to put some finishing touches on the record. You know, we, we wanted to get some. I mean, I had a bunch of tracks that I, I um, you know, when I signed the deal and for this first record, I, I already had a bunch of tracks out there. I think that um, we just needed some more flavors in there. You know, what happens when you get... Um, Kind of caught in your own writing zone is that sometimes things start to, to to look the same they feel the same you know and you want to add more colors and stuff and so there's no better way to do that than to work with different writers you know so i can't i can't get too detailed about the names i've been working with but um they're they're really recognizable heavy hitting names in the industry and uh, a lot of this stuff i think is gonna it's gonna be very surprising um and, and a lot of this stuff allow, allows for for people to really see my range too i mean especially as vocalists i don't i don't know that people know much about my vocal range just yet or, or like even my range as a as a writer, you know. So I think that um, this trip has been very very helpful to bring some of that out, and I'm really excited to get to share that with everyone. You know? How is it for you when you work on a song? It's it. I attribute it to almost being like a, a baby. I mean, obviously, you can hear in your music you're putting a lot of personal journey, a lot of pain, a lot of just your soul into this music that you're writing. How is it to have a stranger? Um, 
make suggestions and critique that? And how do you not take changes personally? Oh, it's all, it's a, well, it's all collaborative act, effort. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm not met a single person that, that wants to make, that, that is suggested making a change um, that was forcefully doing so, you know, and, and if, and if you are, you know, if you're pretty, if you're privy to, to writing, if you're, if you're, you know, a person that has spent a lot of time writing and studying what it means to be a writer, a lot of the same the language you speak is going to be a lot of the same stuff. And so the suggestions that are, that are being made typically aren't like, oh, I don't like that because it sounds this way. It's like, do we think this works here? Because it doesn't, I don't know if the song wants to go there. You know, these songs have a life of their own and you can feel, I mean, just like, just like when you listen to the radio, you can feel when those changes are coming. You know what I mean? And if you can't, if, if the, this, because the song is set up that way, the song feels like it wants to go there, you know? Um, and if it doesn't, it get, this is how you confuse the listeners when you when you go against the grain of the song, you know. So I've yet to find anyone that is super critical of anything that I want to do or put put out, you know. Um, it's all it's all been good time so far. So um, you know, it's and it's it's a collaborative effort too. It's like these are co-writes, you know what I mean. So when you when you're sitting with people, I mean you're you're together trying to create something that that everyone's going to really enjoy, you know. So I don't think. You know, you're just trying to put these ideas in the pot. None of it's permanent. And if you don't like it, you cut it. You know, and that's just kind of it. You keep it simple. Keep it moving. Have some good conversations. Smoke a J. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I, I know that obviously touring is difficult with, with COVID. And it's, and it's incredibly frustrating for anyone in the music business because it's the first part of the economy that got shut down. And it's going to be the last one to get reopened. Um how are you working out the timeline of releasing the record and has that been affected by the shutdown? Are you, when, when is the record coming out? Do you know yet? We're hoping, I mean, you know, the label and I were talking and I think we're, we're hoping to try to get it out in the first part of uh, 2021. Kind of depends on, I think, the progress of uh, obviously the virus, but the vaccine and then, then how, phase, how things start to phase out, out uh, up again, you know, when they open back up. So... You know, we're hoping 2021 early, early on, but we'll just have to see, you know, it's hard to say right now. Are you going to do any streaming live shows or any, anywhere that people can watch you between now and then? Uh, it's nothing, nothing is very planned right now. You know, uh, I'm not to say that that's, that's not going to happen, but as of right now, there's nothing quite on the table yet. Um, you know, and so hopefully we, we'll get some, some idea of what that's going to look like when we can figure out when the record comes out. Um, and, uh, and when we do like, you know, we'll, we'll be doing it for, Hopefully it's going to be for a good cause. I think a lot of people need that right now. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I cannot thank you enough for the generosity of your time. And of course, yeah. my friends at the label that, uh, you know, helped to make this connection happen told me that I would fall in love with you. They told <laughs> me that I would love the music. And they told me that when you and I talked that I would be completely gravitated to you as a person. And they were absolutely right. You, oh, thank you. That's you are movie. just so open and just uh, you know you're everything i hoped that you would be and listening <laughs> listening to the music i knew i i loved your art i really yeah. i can't wait to hear the rest of the record because what i've heard so far um i love well thank you thank um, you so much what i do with every podcast episode is i make a corresponding playlist and so all of the music that we talk about, so everybody from Janelle Monet to B.B. King to Sir Mix-a-Lot to Guns N' Roses, it's all going in the playlist along with Sweet. your stuff. Um, is there anything else that you think I should throw in your playlist to go along with the episode? Uh, um, so there's one song I would say, Black Flower. Black Flowers from the group Fishbone would be a great song. Ooh, okay. 
Uh, I would you talk say, about living color too, which we kind of attribute oh, them as a Boston band know, up here, you know. And you can't, you can't not have cult of personality if you don't live in color, right? Like that's that's the hit, man. I mean, one of my favorite vocalists of all time, his, oh. Corey Corey Glover's voice. It's so good. Corey's so cool too, man. Those guys are all. I mean, I, I've hung with those guys multiple times. I got to hang out with Corey and Living Color the first time in Seattle, and since then I, we've maintained a friendship. I talk to Vernon every now and again, and. You know, Corey's just an amazing person too, man. Every time I get to get around those guys, I'm always inspired. They're they're very inspiring people to me. One of those one very inspirational people to me. Yeah. Uh, one more question because I know you have sure. to go. I yeah. I would regret not talking to you as a guitar player about the sure. passing of Eddie Van Halen. Oh man, yeah. And That's and rough. what that means to to guitar players everywhere, regardless of the style of play that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie was one of the most influential guitar players in. In history let's be honest you know what i mean like there's you see these avatars come about every now and again you know you saw it in uh in jimmy you saw it in prince you can see it in, in clapton and see it in uh you know cats like jimmy page um and he's just right up there with all those guys man and, and he was a he was a modern virtuoso i mean I, they, people call him what they call him a rembrandt he's like a he's like a, a mozart he's he's one of those people that changes the the face of guitar playing for the better you know so um, it was extremely hard, I think, for a lot of artists and guitar players to um, to swallow that that he had passed away. Um, but uh, I think there's also a little bit of bittersweetness there, you know, in that um, there's now an opportunity for uh, the spotlight to be shed on, on the up and comers too, you know. So um, while I, I'm more in the passing of uh, of one of the great guitar players and one of the great avatars to to walk the planet when it comes to music. I um I also celebrate the future and what that looks like for the for the rock music industry and, and guitar as well. So you know. Well, it's part of I his legacy a, that he inspired yeah. so many people with his music. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and I'm one of them. You know what I mean? So like, so like definitely. Um, Ed, Eddie is is going to be greatly missed. You know, and and but never forgotten. So. Well, I just think you are amazing. I love your music. I cannot wait to hear the record. And please, can we talk again when the record comes out? Because I'm going to have all kinds of nerdy music questions. And I'm sure by then you're going to have all kinds of other exciting stuff that your wife's just not going to care about. And I will listen to it for you. She's just going to be that's cool, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was so so nice nice to meet you. And I cannot wait for you to come to Massachusetts, come to Boston, because I can't yeah. wait to meet you in person. Yeah, I can't wait to be back in Boston. It'll be great. It was so great. Thank you Good so much. You, Carrie. Have All a wonderful right. rest of your day. Take care. You too. See ya. All right, there he is. That was Aaron Jones. And I can't wait for you to check out the music that is on the corresponding playlist for episode 20 of the Mistress Carrie podcast, because I think you're really gonna love the music that's already out. And I cannot wait to hear the finished product of the new album that is coming out in early 2021. Special thanks to Latini Creative Solutions at latinicreative.com and the Main Hair Lounge at mainhairlounge.com for sponsoring this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss anything with the Mistress Carrie podcast, including Monday through Friday. The Sit Rep, all your headlines in music, entertainment, and industry news in less than five minutes every day so you can keep up with everything that's going on without having to do all the research yourself because I take care of it for you. 
Thanks to everybody that's had me make cameo videos for them. Go to cameo.com slash mistresscarrie. If you got a special event you want me to make a custom video for, they make a great gift and we can celebrate anything from an anniversary or a birthday or retirement, gender reveal, whatever. And of course, the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass, which is available on Patreon. And I'll see you Tuesday night at 8.30 for Cocktails in the War Room. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.